0: Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lumumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, The South's Literary Lawn Party. (laughs) Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. I'm Hillary, I'm the event director at Lemuria. This is Ellen, she's the literary director for the Mississippi Book Festival and we're here with Tiffany McDaniel, And we're gonna talk about betty that we're so excited about we would have had the book festival on this past saturday Saturday.
1: (laughs) and tiffany was going to be there but COVID 19 had other plans (laughs) and that's okay so this is what we're doing instead so everybody can stay
0: safe but still enjoy some incredible literature i think just to start we're gonna ask tiffany if she'll read a little bit I remember when i got the advanced copy of betty i think i read it in like here's my beat up advanced reader (laughs) copy i think i got it in like april and um i read the prologue and i think i read part of it out loud to somebody else here and and i was just like if this is what the rest of the book is going to be like i'm i'm down for this 450 page book
1: <laughs> and I actually I started reading it after Hillary and I read the prologue and I immediately text her and I was like this is the most beautiful thing I've
2: ever read in my life <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> well thank you for that <laughs> uh, but yeah so I'm going to like give a little read of the prologue and to kind of um set it up a little bit. So um, this will be sort of an introduction to the patriarch or the family, which is uh, Landon, who is inspired by my papa Landon. And uh, we'll also see in this scene, um, the character after which the book is named Betty, which is uh, inspired by my mother, Betty. So this will sort of give a nice, um, you know, because their relationship is just so loving and and supportive. And I think this uh, prologue really, really sets that up. I'm still a child, only as tall as my father's shotgun. Dad's asking me to bring it with me as I go out to where he is resting on the hood of the car. He lifts his shotgun out of my hands and lays it across his lap. When I sit next to him, I can feel the summer heat coming off his skin like he's just another tin roof on a hot day. I don't mind that the tomato seeds left over from his afternoon lunch in the garden drop off his chin and land on my arm. The tiny seeds cling to my flesh and rise above it like braille on a page. My heart is made of glass, he says, as he starts to roll a cigarette. My heart is made of glass, and if I ever lose you, Betty, my heart will break into more hurt than eternity would have time to heal. I reach into his pouch of tobacco and rub the dry leaves, feeling each as if it were its own animal, alive and moving from fingertip to fingertip. What's a glass heart like, Dad? I ask because I feel like the answer will be greater than I can ever imagine. A hollow piece of glass shaped like a heart, his voice seems to soar above the hills around us. Is a glass red, Dad? It's as red as a dress you're wearing right now, Betty. But how is a piece of glass inside you? It's hanging in there from a little sweet little string. Within the glass is the bird God caught all the way up in heaven. Why do you put a bird in there, I ask? So a little piece of heaven would always be in our hearts. Safest place for a piece of heaven, I reckon. What type of bird, Dad? Well, little Indian, he said, striking the match against a sandpaper ribbon on his wide brimmed hat to light his cigarette. I think she'd be a glittering bird, and her whole body would shine like little fire's light, the way Dorothy's ruby slippers did in that movie. What movie? The Wizard of Oz. Remember Toto? He barks, ending with a long howl. The little black dog? That's right, he lays my head against his chest. Do you hear that? Thumpity, thump. Do you know what that sound is? Thumpity, thump, thump. It's a beating of your heart. It's a noise of the little bird flapping her wings. The bird, I hold my hand over my own chest. "'What happens to the bird, Dad?' "'You mean when we die?' "'He squints at me as if my face has become the sun. "'Yes, when we die, Dad.' "'But the glass heart opens like a locket "'and the bird flies out to lead us to heaven "'so we don't get lost. "'It's very easy to get lost on the way "'to a place you've never been before. "'I keep my ear against his chest, "'listening to the steady beating. "'Dad,' I ask, "'does everyone have glass hearts?' "'Nope,' he takes the drag on his cigarette. "'Just me and you, little Indian. "'Just me and you.' He tells me, lean back and cover my ears. With the cigarette hanging in the corner of his mouth, he raises the shotgun and fires. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, so the imagery that you create in that, just that little short snippet, I mean, it was so, um, it was so evocative. I mean, like the opening of the glass heart, like a locket, there were so many things that you referenced in that, that I love. I had this great love of lockets and like Dorothy's ruby slippers. So it was just like, that was a huge jumping off point for me. I was just like, well, this is going to be incredible. (laughs) The prose is just so lush and creates, I mean, like, like I said, the imagery is so strong. Um, so we, I guess we wanted to start out talking about you wrote this book a long time ago. Yeah. And we kind of want to hear about, you know, just basic housekeeping, the history of the creation of this novel.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it was a long time uh, in the making. It would have been uh, nearly twenty years ago that uh, my mother had told me a family secret, and it was something that I had not known up to that point in my life. I would have been seventeen. Um, there were some things that I already did know. You know, she raised me and my sisters in the garden, and she always made sure that uh, you know Landon's stories were always there with us, and that she was. Uh, you know, telling us how supportive and, and how wonderful a father he was. So there were things I knew about that, and of course I had grown up around Alka and I had grown up around Lint and and um, the other aunts and uncles. And so they had always been in my life. And then when I heard this secret at seventeen, it was it was just opening a whole other secret door. And uh, from that point forward, um, I started to have Q and A sessions with my mother, and uh, you know she talked more about. The racism she faced. I do have fair skin, um, and so I have not personally experienced those things. But having those sessions with her, you know, open that door on hearing about. The racial slurs her and her father experienced you know hearing about how he had been beaten up in these towns just because of the color of his skin and and she also talked about those lovelier moments those memories of him and that led also to me having sessions with alka and um lint and and the other siblings and the other aunts and uncles and so once i i had that you know i had started to compile this book and i would have been um probably later 18 uh, when it was all compiled and, and that's when I started uh, the query process for the book and um, I thought it'd be relatively quickly you know move publishing um, and then you know I, I started to hear the feedback from the agents you know they would say I love the writing that, the story but you um, you know, maybe take out the mention of the brawls and the menstruation. It makes readers uncomfortable. Maybe uh, let's see the the female characters not being as uh, angry about things. Let's see them more warm and welcoming. Um, let's even see the women have romantic relationships. And, you know, it, it was, I, I think that was coming from a place where we think that women have to have these sort of romantic relationships in order to sort of heal or, or even, you um, kind of save ourselves, but I really wanted to show these women, show their bond of sisterhood and um, show that uh, as Freya says in the book, we can save ourselves. And, you know, I was hearing this book is too female to sell, it's too risky to sell. Uh, You should think about changing Betty into a male narrator. They sell better. Um, This could be, you know, Huckleberry Finn of your generation, but it was important that we preserve, Betty's gender because that was part of her identity. And so um Your you mother. know about 10 years in I was I realized Betty was not going to be my first published novel and so I wrote The Summer That Melted Everything and it had a boy character and it sold it sold very quickly and it was you know it was sort of showing that industry preference and um I think with the me too movement and sort of this resurgence of, of feminist movements um I hope that it continues to carve that path for for books like Betty but it was a long long journey to get here yeah
0: well I sorry well no, no no I was just I think we might be asking the same thing just how do you feel I guess in the publishing world that it's changed now I know I think your editor I can't think of his name off the top of my head but I know he did some virtual things with you before it came out um and he was just all about it. And I just, yeah, I just wondered how that process happened. Since when you and I were emailing, you told me that a lot of times when you had talked to agents, they were saying it's too dark and too female. What made him decide, you know, I'm going to take a chance on this.
2: Yeah. And I think I have to say too that um, Knopf and Tim, which is the editor's name and Uh, Emily Reardon, Emily Murphy, and and Paul, and everybody, they they just wrapped their arms around this book, and they were so supportive of it, and I wasn't, you know, having those same experiences there as I had with the agents, and I think, you know, as the publishing industry, what they're so great about it is that they really evolve with the time, and I think during those past 20 years you know they were looking at an industry that was shaped by a dominance of male authors and male stories and then they were looking at the me too moments and they were looking at the times up and and they were looking at how these women's voices are are so important to be heard and I think the publishing industry what they've been great about and we've seen that with own voices as well and sort of looking for more diverse books written by black authors that they really um, reach out and they sort of make their publishing industry, that's what we're hoping reflective of society as a whole. And so I think that it's just opened the door, those sort of um, movements for the publishing industry to say, yeah, you know, these stories, they do have value, let's start publishing more of them. So I'm hoping that you know in the future that we continue to see more of these types of stories and especially black voices, indigenous voices, um, voices from so many different cultures and races and, and, and genders. And so I think that um, what they do so well is that they drive that because the more books we read that have diverse characters and they have uh, female perspectives and male perspectives, it helps us as a society to really reflect that and to really grow, because I think sometimes these things can feel a little too much in our face, but books have that ability to be something that is right in front of us. We can just open the cover. And I think people can slip into that, uh, that conversation much more easily. So I think it all around, it was sort of all these different paths coming together and, and sort of converging on that one. I
1: think, and it's especially reading um You know books from you know people who have different uh life experiences you know that might not be your life experiences but it it, i feel like it creates an empathy oh yeah for um you know all these different you know ways that people live their lives in these different cultures and i mean i think that's so important i mean i don't want to i don't want to
0: read just about just about like you know how
1: my life experience
0: um i mean and and, i mean i told her like the i will think about these characters oh, forever did
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i mean they're all so rich and textured um you know i mean it is and so you never i would just, i assume that you never met your grandfather landon
2: correct or did you yeah so he was the only um family member that i did not because he had died um over a decade before i was born he dies um I don't think I'm giving any spoilers away, but he, you know, it's a story of his life and, and we see um, how it, how it turns out. And that, that was reflective of um, reality, you know, at the house, the setting um, all of that sort of uh, was crafted from what they told me happened in, in those final moments. And so he was a character that I really shaped out of um, their memories and those sessions. And, and I really wanted to preserve all of that love that, um, you know, they had for him. And I think back on those sessions with Lent and, and, you know, Lent, um, I have such fond memories of my uncle, but I know that he was dealing with those demons and and dealing with mental illness. And, uh, you know, one of the things that he told me was that, uh, especially as a kid nights would be really difficult for him and really terrifying. And, uh, Landon would, you know, deprive himself of sleep and he was, go into Lynn's room and he would sit up with him all night and he would tell him stories and and he would uh, you know try to take his mind off of things and eventually he found that uh, coffee helped and so you know it'd be nights of them sitting up talking drinking coffee and he said you know without dad I don't know if I would have survived as well and so I really wanted to preserve how much he meant in their life and you know I think about Betty and, and her sisters and how much he was an ally to them in a time that maybe female voices were even coming up against a bigger wall than we do now. I mean, there's still stereotypes and, and there's still sexism, but in the 1950s, and 1970s, I mean, it would have been even on such a bigger scale. And so at that time he was someone, you know, cause he had been raised by a really strong grandmother and really strong mother. And um, they had instilled in him, that Cherokee society which really leaned on women as leaders and thinkers and I think what makes Landon such a great man is that he didn't give up on those teachings as he grew up he really embraced them um he didn't say oh this doesn't mean anything to me because it's not my gender he identified with it and he then instilled that in his in his daughters and so those things I really wanted to um make sure was was transferred to the page but uh, i really wish i would have met him but through their stories i feel as if i've gotten the closest i can to that
0: oh i mean there there are times where i had to think about the fact that you weren't betty like this was not your father because that how you wrote betty and landon's relationship i mean that's my favorite thing about this entire novel and i mean it felt so real and made me think about my own father and yeah it was just well
1: i mean he was land the character of landon yes he was a real person but you never met him he was still so well developed i mean and like that could have really he could have you know read very hot you know really hollow and he did not at all i mean it was like you had had these conversations with him um, so I think it's also a testament to your incredible ability to write from, you know, research, but also your mother, you having these conversations with your mother and um, her family about um, your grandfather Landon. Uh, I mean, it just, he was such a rich character and so well-developed. So yeah. wonderful job on that. <laughs> I love all I the... Deserve. <laughs> Like the Cherokee, you know, all of the Cherokee, like, you know, ritual and like mysticism that you talk about. I don't know if that's the correct terminology for that, but it was, it created just this whole nother level. And he just, he revered all these women. I mean, you know, he really just, as you were saying, you know, I I didn't know this. So, I mean, I've learned something about, um, you know, Cherokee culture. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, women were really these kind of well, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, I mean, you know, in kind of like normal society, men are like the ones that are like, you know, in the past, you know, seen as these leaders, and it was the exact opposite in um, in the Cherokee way. And I just thought that was just incredible. So,
2: yeah, Christianity really sort of flipped that for the Cherokee society because they had, <laughs> uh, you know, prior to that, you know, the women owned the land and they owned the house. And, uh, you know, if there was uh, a separation of the husband and the wife, you know, she kept, everything he sort of even had to have permission to um to go back into the house and so her clan and i think her voice really meant something and then in the shift to christianity it sort of put the men on the top and it kind of uh pulled those hunters and gatherers into the farmland which then removed the women from the lands that they had owned and worked and and kind of moved them into the kitchen and um you know landon he had grown up with several generations of his family in the house and uh, the elders had only spoken Cherokee. And so his generation, they, he had to speak both Cherokee, but he also had to learn the language of the white man. Cause that was sort of the society that he was entering. And what I found to be such a testament to them was that it was really storytelling that became their universal language because, you know, this language of the elders and, and maybe they couldn't speak what he was speaking, but it was through that story that they were passing down that heritage and that culture and Landon, it was something that he held on to and passed then using story as a way to connect his children to that culture. So story became sort of that universal language in a world where the old language is sort of fading in the distance and they were still trying to say, we existed, this is who we were, this is how we lived. And that was so important to him that that be preserved. And especially for his daughters, you know, I think about uh, that stage he built in the garden for them, the three sisters stage. And um, he was giving them something physical to climb upon and say, you are powerful, your voice matters. And, um, you know, Frey or Flossie, they ask him, can the boys come up on the stage? And he says, no, they're not powerful enough. And so I, I think that was such, you know, a way for for them to feel as if they can have this place and they can physically stand in it and they can physically matter. And I think uh, at that time and place, especially, that was just so important to carving out that female identity.
0: I was, I was about to actually um, ask you something about the stage and all of that. And um, obviously, Betty is your mother. Um, she's a real person. I know this is Fiction, so there's probably bits that are you know, but how you wrote about how Betty deals with some of the darker things that happen, how she writes things down and then puts them in and buries them. Um, in what, what is it that you that he calls that area? Does yeah, that- the faraway place, faraway place. Far yes. yes. place, I couldn't think yes. of it yesterday. Um <laughs> And, and I know I've seen, you know, in parts of your book that there are some quotes from your mother. Is she a writer just like Betty in the book? How, how has she felt this whole time that, that you were kind of writing her story, even though I know, I mean, she's told you so much and it seems like
2: she also likes to write and is a writer. Yeah, so um, the poem that is actually at the beginning of the book, Um, My Broken Home, that was a poem that she wrote um, for this book. And so um, mom wrote growing up, she primarily wrote poetry, and um, she didn't really cross into the territory that I do where I write novels. And so um, that was sort of the overlap of, of where her story was impacting it and sort of how I carried it forward into kind of the novel format. But uh, I still have the typewriter that uh, Landon had given her, the typewriter he gives her at the end of the book. And uh, it is, it's is—it's very much like this artifact of that time and place and very much uh, something that, you know, she had used to write the poetry of this story. And so maybe hers was told in these little snippets and was told in the poetry. Um, but then it, it sort of evolved into this novel form and so it's something that uh, she has always valued you know writing and reading our house was always full of books and and she always supported um, any sort of artistic endeavor she was very much um, like Landon in that way and you know I, I look at her and um, you know you talk about her burying those stories and when I was um, hearing her story and, and hearing how you know these secrets were sort of weighing on her and uh, For me, it was very much as if she was using her body as the earth and, and she was sort of making these holes Um, on her body and in her soul and and burying these secrets deep inside her and so I thought well you know I want to see her physically doing this act and so um, we do have that overlap of the truth but then using fiction to sort of evolve it maybe in a different way and that evolution came from seeing her sort of internally bury these secrets within her to in the book being able to the physical act of it and so I think there's a lot of that merging of mom and me and her poetry and sort of then the writing into the novel but I love I love that it's sort of entwined it's like this ball of thread you know it's a sort of interlocked and, and together yeah
1: so, so what is it um so what's it been like for your mother with the release of this book you know, it's one thing to have it just kind of like this idea that something you know, that this is going to happen, but then it to actually be released into the world. And it's you know, it's her story that her um you know that her daughter da- that her daughter yeah. told. Um, I, I feel like that could be a really remarkable, but also kind of exposing. Can you talk to us about you know
2: how this has been for her and for you? I mean. Yeah. This- <laughs> yeah it's it's a bit she's been so um excited because she's been with it um from the beginning as well and so you know twenty years and and alka and the others and you know they would they would check in on the progress you know is there any uh, publishing news and' because they really wanted um this story told and uh you know alka died not very many years ago she was in her 90s and so and a lot of them um you know we lost Frey and flossy you know they they died from overdoses and and so we lost a lot of the family members in the past two decades, and um, I think that's what makes it sort of bittersweet for Mom that she's here and she's able to see this, but those people who who really also wanted to see it too have have not gotten to see the moment. And I think back on Alka, you know, um, when I was doing those sessions with her about um, the experiences she had as a little girl, you know, she said, uh, "I didn't talk about them when I was a little girl because." Um, It was both my mother and my father, so I thought it was normal. I thought it was something that happened to every child. And, you know, I imagine her looking out on those houses and, and thinking about the children inside them and thinking, well, they're going through the exact same thing. And so when Alka got older and she became an adult and she realized, oh, this is not supposed to have been happening, she became an advocate for speaking about these stories very openly because her thought was, If someone had spoken about these things, if maybe there was another woman in the family who felt as if they could share their own story or someone else in the community, I would have heard this story and I would have thought, wait a minute, this is what's happening to me. And so her and Freya and Flossie, they really became champions for saying yes, we need to talk about these things. Yes. Because it might, you know, save someone else or or save another child or or save another uh, woman or or man, because the abuse happens to both, both genders, but save someone who, who was experiencing these things. So, yeah, I really wish um, they had lived long enough to see it happen. You know, I, I, you know, starting now, I didn't think, you know, two decades from now, the book will be published, but uh, yeah, I, I wish that they would, um, would have been around but I feel like their spirit is here so so that's sort of the the balance of, of feeling as if yes their stories are told and yes we got the opportunity so hopefully you know wherever they are looking down that they feel as if uh, okay I, I feel I feel like I'm here in spirit for this
1: well so and I like, speaking about Alka um I don't think you can talk about this book without talking about all of the pain that is so prevalent in it. I mean, so like I was talking about the gorgeous writing, so there is this just like gorgeous, lush prose and then this juxtaposition of telling this, you know, at times really gut-wrenching story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, so I didn't, I, I did not know that Alka was, a, you know, an, you know, your actual grandmother until this very moment. And it it broke my heart all over again to think about, I'm actually about to start crying, <laughs> um, to think about, you know, the things that, that she lived through, you know, was something that actually happened to somebody.
2: So that is, It was difficult. Yeah, um, I first, because Alka, you know, in the book, Alka tells my mother the secret. And my mother in in real life, that reflected that because she was the first... uh, person that Alka had actually told of um, that abuse when my mother was um, younger. And um, so when she was older and she told me this secret too, when I was 17 and then, you know, I, I spoke to her about it and then I approached Alka and uh, you know, I, I talked to her about this and I was so surprised by the willingness of that. I think she was of an age because um she was much older then, and um, you know she had carried that for so long, and when I was a kid, you know she could be really loving and sweet one moment, and then in the next she could be very distant and um, That's where the the sort of parallel to the storms came in for the book for me, because when I was a kid, I I very much, you know, saw her as someone who was always looking to the sky, talking about the bad weather coming in. And when you look at Alka, you know, the things that she experienced, it was very much as if she had gone through a storm, you know, she had all these, this terrible um, upbringing, but like a storm the clouds will clear and you'll see that there is something to survive and by the end of it she did survive it and I think uh, you know sharing her story was such a relief you know it it was just something that she had held on to that she really felt okay yes this story matters and here's someone who's kind of wanting me to talk about it and that was it was such a, a, a moment for her, and I remember, you know, my conversations with with uh, Flossie and Freya, and it was the same. And I, I saw in these women, uh, people who had wanted to be heard, but maybe there was no one there that they felt as if they could really talk about it. And I think um, back to someone um, like Landon. I remember, you know, Flossie telling me the things that had happened to her that actually didn't end up in the book, um, but uh, she had uh, told me these things, and and she said the abuser had told her, if she says anything, he won't kill her, he'll kill Landon. And um, that was the skill set of the abuser, that he was able to use the love of the father to say, I'm not going to harm you with this, I'm going to kill him, and that's going to be your fault. And so it was this, um, it was this moment where you realize that they were in this home with this father who was so loving, and yet they couldn't tell him what was happening. And so that was, that was, That was just such a moment to uncover those things and to uncover that even decades later, these were things that were still so, so intense and vivid in their mind. And um, especially with Alka, you know, when you're hearing these things, you don't want to, um, it it was so hard to hear because she talked about uh, her mother carrying her into the father's bedroom. And that was really difficult because usually you don't hear about the mother being involved in that level of abuse, and uh, you don't want to, um, you know, break down or show any sort of uh, emotion that might embarrass them telling this story, or, or sort of might make them feel a little bit shame, or, or like maybe I shouldn't have told this because you know the person is. Is reacting to it, so you sort of have to keep a face that um, you're listening to the story, but internally you're sort of breaking as you're hearing it, because it's, it's one of those stories that then you you carry with you later, and, and you you have those emotions with yourself later, but um, it was such difficult things to hear, and it all made sense. The older I was, from seeing her as she was when I was a child, who could be very distant times, and also very loving, I understood completely why she was. the way she was absolutely well I was gonna say what you just said you know your
0: writing is it's beautiful but there are there were multiple times while reading this that I was just like oh my gosh this is like I don't know if I can like go to the next thing but the relationship with Betty and Landon and with with his other daughters as well was the like you just said, like there's a storm, but there's always, you know, it clears and everything. And and that was always throughout the whole book, their relationship, his love for his children Mm -hmm. was what kept me. Yeah. Going. Not, I mean, obviously the whole book is great, but that, that was like the main strong part of the book that I just love so much.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why, you know, I noticed um, from those stories with them that you know, they talk about these painful parts. And then anytime they would talk about Landon, it was such, you know, a change. It was a joy. It was a happiness. And um, those memories and, and that relationship with him, I think, really saved them. Because if you think about they were going through this abuse and if they didn't have that type of father in their lives, I, I you know, I don't think that they, they would have been able to survive it as well as they did, you know, and after his death, you um, Frey and Flossie, they they slipped into addiction. Um, you know, all they they really felt as if they had lost the only lifeboat in the middle of the ocean. And after they lost him, it, it was sort of just this change in their lives. And I really um, understood that from those sessions with them, and understood the the ripples of that abuse, but also understood that throughout that abuse, that he had been uh, kind of the one that had saved them the best that could be saved. And and those instances of of just unimaginable sort of abuse and and tragedy that they had endured. Well, and then, I mean,
1: also for, you know, for Betty, the, you know, the racism that she experienced at school. I mean, that's what a difficult thing for anyone to deal with, but for a child, I mean, you know, what a gift that she had her father father to kind of um counsel her through those 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 times i um you know i was reading those sections just kind of in horror and just so angry but you know those are real experiences that people have and um while it seems you know of course it, it seems unimaginable to me but that is something that happens to people today um a lot and you know it's kind of all of this kind of, all of these things have kind of really risen to the surface in uh, 2020 it's very hard to look away from it now um so uh you know that was that was that was that was that was gut-wrenching yeah and, um so i mean he was he's landon was just this different thing to each one of those children yeah. um that was crucial mm. so i thought you know like I said, he's so layered and textured. Um, and just, I mean, what what an amazing character, but also apparently person, because this is a real
2: person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about, you know, that, that racism that mom experienced. So, you know, I, I saw glimpses of it when I was a kid, um, being raised by her. I, you know, I remember people would approach her and what are you, you know, why are you so dark? Um, and when I was growing up, you know, my peers, my classmates, for the first time they saw my mother, they said, I didn't know you were adopted, Tiffany. And I'm like, I'm not adopted. She's my mother, you know, and, and they would ask me, does she just tan all day? Does she have a tanning bed? You know these sorts of of, of subtle racism, um, which was was really sort of passive compared to the racism that she experienced firsthand. And um, you know, Rufus was inspired by a collection of those bullies. And and something that surprised me um, from those sessions with Mom was that it wasn't just the kids her age, but it was also the adults in her life and and the teachers and. I didn't put it in the book, but I remember um, she had told me career day at school, you know, uh, they had to go to the gym and the teacher told her, you stay behind, Betty, you're not going to do anything with your life. And so in this sort of environment that should have been nurturing and supportive and sort of saying that, uh, you know, you are important in this educational system, she was still sort of left behind. And I think if she didn't have that father, uh, like Landon, who said, uh, no, you're going to stay in school, even if it's difficult, you're going to graduate, education is important. And he was also telling her, you know, because she she had a difficulty feeling as if she was beautiful. You know, she, her image wasn't something that she saw in the magazines, you know, which was blonde like her mother and, and pale skin like her mother. And he was telling her, no, without your black hair, without your skin color, you wouldn't be my daughter and, and you are beautiful the way you are. And it was through that infusion of that Cherokee culture and him saying this is important, and we shouldn't uh, feel as if we sh- would want to be a different way or want to be whiter. That um, she really found her identity forward, and you know, I, I listened in those sessions to um, to how he had expressed to her his 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 feeling that he was in these communities and he really felt insignificant and i go back to that scene in the um the novel where he's telling her that he was a filler and it was really inspired by those sessions i was hearing from mom how she said you know dad really felt like he didn't matter that's in these communities where he was trying to work and and he was trying to make a name for himself even as an adult they called him boy or they they just wouldn't even call him by his name and um you know they would beat him up just because of the color of his skin on these job sites and so, um, you know, when I was listening to that, I thought, man, he he must have just really felt like he was a filler, and like he didn't matter, and that he was just this paint drop on the portrait of a greater man. And so I, I really wanted to see that scene between them where he was sort of expressing this. And at the beginning of the book, you know, we say, she, Betty says, his voice soared over the hills. And I think um, something that Landon didn't even realize until later was that to his children, he was already significant and that to him, he, you know, to them, he was already someone who was on top of the mountain and important, even if uh, those communities were telling them that he wasn't important. And so, you know, you saw someone who was um, trying to fit in and, 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 you know, he did in reality what he does in the book with the plants where he he would uh, make the different decoctions. And I think about that scene in the book where, um, you know, the neighbor woman approaches him and asks him, do you take feathers or beads for payment? And he tells her no. And so even when he was sort of giving people things, there was still this this racism under the surface. And so it was something that um, I haven't personally experienced. It was so important for me to hear mom talk about those things in those sessions and talk about how it made her feel and uh, how it made her father feel and it was just such a, a valuable tool to shaping those scenes
0: yeah um, I know we're we're kind of getting towards the end but I was just gonna let you talk about or I was I just kind of wanted to know a little bit more about the fact that you're creating a scrapbook for your mother because you didn't get to go on a book tour um, I mean and this was the important book for you um, I know I sent you some bookmarks and things like that, but I don't, what, what else have you kind of been able to collect, I guess, for her, for this novel?
2: Yeah. So um, it goes back to when I first um, got that email from Knopf that was confirming that they were offering on the book. And that was sort of the, the, the point that really tipped um, the will really start this scrapbook out, but it also includes with those things, uh, the photos of Landon, the photos of Alka. So I sort of mixed those images with these things that are coming in for mom. And yeah, you mentioned the book tour and your bookmarks will go in it and your incredible note will go in it. And uh, you know, I've gotten some reviews um, cause mom doesn't use the computer that much. She's, she's very much a typewriter person still. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have printed them out and uh, you know, those will be going into it, especially the ones that um, mention Landon. Cause I, I think she really loves those. And those ones that really mention Alka and the sister's, and um so those will be going in at and and sort of um making it to where she feels as if when she opens it she sort of is is opening the arms of the world where she really feels as if this book is being embraced and, and, and sort of this story is, is finally out there. And, um, you know, she, she had cried the other day. She was listening to um, a voice message. Flossie had left on her phone uh, several years ago and it it was, she left it actually the day um, that she died. And and, um, that was the last message uh, that she has of her. And um, she was listening to it and she was thinking, God, I wish they were all here to, see this, you know, Lent and, and, and Flossie and mom and dad. And she just said, you know, they would get such a joy out of this. And so for her, I think my goal is with when she opens that scrapbook that she feels as if they are here with her, they're in this moment celebrating with her and that um, it's something I can give her that she can hold in her hands and sort of hopefully feel the weight of it because, you know, I'm, I, you know, digital, we don't necessarily get, that feeling that tangible in her hands. But when she has this scrapbook and it has the photos and the reviews and, and the notes and all these things, she can feel that, okay, this story has been received in the world and, and this is what it feels like. And I, I feel mom and dad with me and I feel my sisters and I feel my brother. So, so that's, that's the goal with it. But I think uh, for her, it will just be such a special, special moment.
1: Yeah. I would like to also mention to everybody that's uh, tuning in for this is that Tiffany is also a visual artist as well as an incredible writer. So, I mean, I think to the scrapbook, it's like a marriage. I would see, I see it as a marriage of both of your, um, both of your talents. Which,
0: yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah, I was gonna say, are you gonna
1: document this on your website? Yeah,
0: (laughs) I was gonna say that if anybody that's that's watching you should definitely go to Tiffany's website it's just tiffanymcdaniel.com right and you can see her art but you can also see photos of Betty of Landon of Alka I think of Lent Mm -hmm. Um, that I think is my favorite part that these are real people your family I, I love going to your website because I've seen that you've added a couple of photos every once in yeah. a
2: while and so I go and see the new one. Well, <laughs> work in progress, yeah. And there's also, uh, it was really funny during the research, I found the newspaper article from uh, the Arkansas Gazette that was from uh, 1954. Oh. So It would have been a few months after mom was born and it's of uh, Landon getting arrested for moonshining. And I just thought that was just like such a kick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, let me, so... Both of your novels take place in Breford, Ohio. Is that am I saying that correctly?
0: Okay. okay, yeah.
2: Is that a real place? Is that was that where you're from? I I do get this, asked this question because I don't have the accent of my Southern Ohio character. So I grew up in both Southern Ohio and South Central Ohio. And so because I did my schooling in South Central, I tend to carry more of the South Central accent, but, um, I spent most of my time in Southern Ohio and I still live in both uh, places today. And it was a Southern Ohio town that, uh. Landon raised his family in. And so um, mom had uh, raised us in that too, because she wanted us to sort of see the, the nature and the, the wilderness and the environment. And um, I changed the name, but it's inspired by that real town. And because it was born in Betty, um, and then I wrote the novels later, like The Summer That Melted Everything, I found that I was returning back to Breath It. And so I have over 12 novels written. And for the majority of them, Breathed is the set, yeah. <laughs> Breathed is the set, so yeah. <laughs> so it seems to be um, a character that I, I think I will always uh, return to and sort of carry forward, because I think I'll always carry this family story in some way, and I think Breathed will be the, the vein that runs through there, so yeah well that
1: was very very <laughs> thrilling to hear um, I, I love you know how some authors will will create these fictional places that that are in these real places and they'll just you know develop that yeah. through the years so i'm very excited for more <laughs> to, for more of yeah. that yeah um,
0: yeah <laughs> well tiffany this was fantastic um thank you. yes thank you oh, i was just gonna say we've got signed copies they're on our website you can give us a call either way um uh. yeah <laughs> just 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 buy it don't yeah you, you, don't yeah. question yourself get it give <laughs> okay. them your money
1: um you won't be sorry no um, thank you so much for doing this with us it was uh, it was really an honor um yeah this is the book that i've kind of thought about all summer long during this uh yeah. <laughs> know, escape that we're in so um thank you for the escape yes. um and just, you know, the the things that I'm left with after this novel, you know, I think about it, you know, at least once a day. So. Yeah. Oh,
2: gosh, guys, I can't, I feel so undeserving of that. I can't even tell you, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm so um, thankful um, for all your support there and and for this opportunity, this conversation, you know, because I think it's, it's a book that um, sort of has that history behind it. So thank you for the chat. It was just so great yes thank you and we
1: hope to see you here in person i know
2: yeah in the <laughs> future um yeah. and we look forward to that day yeah 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 i can't wait to see the story i was so hoping for it you know and then sort of things had to be mood virtual for you know reasons known but it was so i was so looking forward to it and it's like you know something i am looking forward to in the future so much
1: <laughs> we all need to grasp onto yeah. those things to look forward to right now yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: We'll, we'll stay in touch we'll, we'll get you here
2: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah
0: thank you so much have a great rest of your day
2: oh gosh you too bye guys uh, <laughs> thank you thank you right on
0: mississippi is produced in partnership with mississippi public broadcasting for the mississippi book festival the south's literary lawn party